Thank you for tuning in to the Crossover Podcast. We hope this message inspires you and grows your faith. To learn more about Crossover, visit our website at crossovernorman.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Crossover Norman. Enjoy the message. Can I get a boomer? If you love Jesus, say I do. I do. Seniors. Oh, man, two more weeks, right? I'm not going to do that again. It's all good. It's all good. Hey, it goes by quick. Enjoy. Amen. Come on. All right, here we go. Hey, listen, my family and I, we went on a little road trip not too long ago, and we were a little nervous about it. We were a little nervous because uh, we had a, a newish baby. Uh, baby Bodie was about... Uh, a couple months old, and he was like 10, 11 pounds. He was a monster, all right? Uh, and we were a little nervous because, I mean, it was a 14-hour trip to Florida, and we had three kids, three and under, and we're like, man, we just don't know what's going to happen. And um, as soon as we put them in, we get the big boys on the iPad, and they're watching, um, they like to call it Hiccup with Toothless, uh, but it's How to Train Your Drag. Anybody with me? It's a great, it's a great movie, right? And so they're back there sucking their thumbs, good, locked in, great, all's good. We put Bodhi in. Bodhi uh, cries for about five minutes, and then he falls asleep. Um, and then, we, I mean, we were making some time. Like, it was great. Your boy was not speeding that much, okay? <laughs> um, and we're going, and we make it all the way to Texarkana. And then I smell a little something. And I was like, Revan, my oldest, I was like, dude, did you blow it up back there? He's like, no, daddy, no, it wasn't me, right? And I was like, River? He's like, no, dad, not me. And then me and Caroline locked eyes, right? We locked eyes and we're like, uh-oh, like, Bodie boy, right? And it, it's, it, 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 it came on even stronger. We're like, this is not just a toot. This is a full out, you know, he, he went for it. So I pulled over on the side of the road. Now, listen, I, I walk around the side of the car. And I go to unbuckle him, and the sound that it makes when I just pick him out of the chair, it goes, like, and I was like, oh, no. It's like this dude had a blowout from the back of his knees to the back of his head. Like, it was just straight poop everywhere. Now, just imagine this, all right? You're driving, and you see a car on the side of the road, and you see a mom and a dad holding the baby out like this, and mom's stripping clothes off, poops flying out everywhere, right? And she's dumping water on him, trying to rake it all off, and it is just disgusting. It's just disgusting, all right? We got 112 wipes around us on the ground, and I'm like, man, so we finally, we button them all back up, and we get them in the car, and me and her literally just spend the next, like, 12 minutes just cleaning ourselves off, and she gets the hand sanitizers out, and I was like, well, let's quit squirting it. Just open up the bottle, and let's just rub it all everywhere. So I'm looking. I'm like, all right, finally, I think we're clean. I think we're good, and we hop back in the car, and it wasn't probably three minutes later, and I was like, I was like, oh my goodness, that is atrocious. Like, he did it again. He did it again. And she's like, well, I don't smell anything. And I was like, what? She's like, I don't smell anything. And I was like, Revin, do you smell anything? He's like, no, Dad, I don't smell anything, right? And, and then out of my periffs, I see on my hand there's a brown smudge that I had just itched my face with, and I put straight poop in my left nostril hole, Right? It was gross, okay? Listen, 
No matter how clean I thought I got my hand, it still wasn't clean enough. Amen. Hallelujah. Students, today we're going to be looking at another set of people here in Mark 7 who taught everyone that their hands had to be cleaned in such a way to be in right standing in the eyes of God. We don't only see that, but we also see Jesus' response to them in this empty religion of hand washing and other extracurriculars, how he is telling them that they are missing the whole point. Now listen, for, for, for some of you, I only have this, this week and next week to be able to say something to you. And as I was preparing a sermon, I actually was preparing another sermon until about six days ago when God was like, hey, listen, let's tuck this one away. And why don't you just, like, what do you want them to, to take away? Like, what's something that you want these people to be able to hear and take away with, either they're graduating or they're transferring away? What would you want them to know before they leave. And I started thinking about the time after I graduated from college and I entered the real world. And I realized that for, I just remember those first three years, man, I was really struggling. And it's only when I realized about in my mid-20s how I was missing the mark that Jesus is trying to explain here in Mark 7, did it finally change my life. And the reason that I was missing the mark was because I was following the same ways of these empty religions. And I'm thankful for the teachers that I had in seminary and, and the preachers that I have even leaned on for this sermon now to be able to explain it to y'all in such a way that I believe that it's going to be calling us up. So I pray tonight that you have an open ear and that you have an open heart as we see Jesus call these people out. Now listen, now these people, the Pharisees, he's calling out in Mark 7, these were the religious elites. Like These were the people that devoted their whole lives uh, to this religion. As soon as they woke up to the time that they went to bed, they devoted everything to their religion. And Jesus calls them up. And listen, when he calls them out, like he silences the room. It was such a call out. Even his own disciples were a little bit awkward in this whole scene. Like it was just, it was, this was a big deal for Jesus to do. One pastor writes, when Jesus calls these spiritual elites out. It's like one of us telling LeBron James that he doesn't know how to play basketball or Carrie Underwood how she doesn't know how to sing. Like these were the goats of religion. Like, and Jesus here is telling these spiritual goats that they know absolutely nothing about what they were talking about. Like that's bold. That's Jesus. So in this process, Jesus totally redefines the heart of what pure religion before God is, and it doesn't only have massive implications on them then, but it also has massive implications for every single one of us today. So let's start in Mark chapter 7, verse 1, and it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Now listen, just a little context here. These officials, they were on a mission to come and trap Jesus in his words or accuse him for false teaching. And we've seen that multiple times before in Mark chapter 2 or verse 2. They saw that some of his disciples ate with their hands and they were defiled. That is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews who did not 
eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. I still don't know what that is, right? And the Pharisees and the scribes asked them, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of what? Of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. Now let's take a second and see what exactly is going on here. This question from these spiritual elites to Jesus wasn't about hygiene, but it was, a, it was a question about spiritual cleanliness. It was a matter of their religion to wash their hands in a certain and specific way. And I was just wondering, like, like how did these spiritual elites, how did they get to this, to this question? How did they get to this, this is what you're supposed to do in order to be right in front of God? Well, if you read in the book of Exodus, God commanded a handful of priests to wash their hands in a certain way for just a period of time for them, for one reason, to show their submission and their loyalty to God the Father. And what the Pharisees did is that they took what the Lord commanded these few men, and he took it and he put their own twist on it, and they applied it to all men. And it became what we know as an oral tradition. An oral tradition is man-made that is rising up next to the Word of God, and they're making this just as important as Scripture. And Jesus was looking at them saying, listen, this was never a command, commanded for all men to do this. But they didn't only do it for that. They also did it with, with copper pots and dishes and how they washed themselves after the marketplace. So then they asked, why aren't the disciples following this tradition? And this is his response in verse 6. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? So Jesus, he went for the Mike Tyson here, right? He went out for the, the knockout punch with these group of people who were attacking, trying to trap him and, and accuse him. And he said, hey, listen, hundreds of years ago, Isaiah talked about you hypocrites. You trap and accuse him uh, and, and religious, uh, religious fakes. And again, these are the spiritual elites of their day. And Jesus said, you're just a bunch of imposters. But then he quotes Isaiah 29, in verse 7, he says, These people, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The last phrase is important. You are teaching as doctrines for people to follow commandments and the ideas from men, from people. You leave the commandment of God and you hold on to the tradition of men. And then Jesus just puts it on him. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. Verse 10, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles your father and mother must surely die. These were clear commands from God's law. But verse 11, But you say, If a man tells his father and mother, Whatever you have gained for me is Corban, that, that is the Hebrew word for given to God, then you no longer have to permit him to do anything for his father or for his mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Now let's just take a little background check here. God had 
clearly commanded his children to honor their father and their mother to provide for them for the rest of their life. But people in that day, they had come up with this tradition alongside the command of God to basically get around this command from God. This word Corban is used 80 plus times in the Old Testament. It was referring to an offering that you dedicated to God. So people who wanted to hold on to their possessions and hang on to their money, and, and they would dedicate this to, to God. They would say, well, this is Corban. This is what I'm giving to God. And they could go and enjoy their life and live their life the way that they wanted to and not have to give it or supply it for anybody else. They just said it's Corban. And as soon as they died, their money would then belong to the temple. So if somebody didn't want to provide for their parents, they would just say, hey, it's Corban. Like, sorry. Sorry, mom and dad. Like, I know you can't eat, but this is God's money, right? Like, and they would go around what God's command was trying to say. In this way, they were going around God's command to honor their mother and their father, following a tradition that totally voided God's word. And then he says, and many such things you do. Verse 14, let's keep on reading. And, and he called the people to him again and said, Hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside of the person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of the person is what defiles him. This is where Jesus is starting to redefine pure religion before God. Going back to hand washing, Jesus is going. He says, fundamentally, what you are doing on the outside, that it, on the outside is not what makes you unclean or defiled or, or clean and, and, and pure. No, what defilement starts is with what's inside of you, that which comes out of you from inside of you. Then much like we see at different points in the book of Mark, Jesus brings his disciples closer. He says, you know, come on, let's go into, let's go into this other room in verse 17. And when he entered the house and he left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable and they said, uh, then you are without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and it ex it's expelled? My baby boy did it that day. I don't know what he ate the day before, but he expelled all of it, about 10 pounds of it, all right? Verse, uh, verse 20, and he said, what comes out of the person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they are what defiles a person. What a statement. Jesus just made a revolutionary claim. He just added the sp that spiritual transformation happens not from the outside in, but from the inside out, realizing that it changes everything. Not just the way that we look at our religion or even what we are doing in this gathering right now, but realizing that it has eternal ramifications for your life and it has eternal ramifications for my life. Now follow this. I just explained this text to the best of my ability and I want us to follow this because I see that there are some dangers of empty religion 
according to Jesus in this text. And even as I use this language, I want you to think, like, how is this possible? How could these people think that this is what makes them right in front of God? I want you to ask yourself, is this possible for you and me to be religious, to do religious things like going to church or reading our Bible or all sorts of good deeds, yet miss the whole point? Because according to what we just read, the answer is absolutely yes. It is possible. These were religious leaders who went to the synagogue all the time, who studied God's word all the time, who did all kinds of good deeds, but Jesus called them hypocrites, pretenders, and fakes. Now tonight, I want us to evaluate some dangers of empty religion that Jesus is showing us in this text. And I want us to kind of contextualize it to the average college student tonight. So the first thing that I see when I read this text is that, first and foremost, they elevated their thoughts and traditions over God's word. Now, this is pretty clear from what we just read, that these religious leaders had added so many rules and regulations to God's law that in the process, those rules and those regulations, their thoughts and their traditions became more important to them than God's word. How do I contextualize this to you? I think simple definition for me is, is I define what I want to do over what God's word tells me to do. What does that look like for us? Is I define what I want to do over what God wants me to do. And when this happens, we are input, putting our own Corbin, right? We are putting our own thing, our own twist, our own definition on what a command of Jesus looks like. We put our own definition on what looking like, acting like, living like looks like for Jesus. Now listen, there are many, many commands that I could go over right now. There are many commands I think that we could look at, and I think we could see how we twist our way around those commands. But Jesus put one command on me for tonight that I feel like it's going to hit a lot of us. And it's simply this, is Matthew 28, 19. We see in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples in all nations. Like Jesus is trying to give everything to his disciples and trying to give them all the information that they need. And, and one of his last commands to his people was, was go and tell people about Jesus. Students, when was the last time that you told somebody about Jesus? Like, we have people in our class that we know that need Jesus. We have roommates that we know that need Jesus. You have friends that you know that need Jesus. You have, you have family that you know that need Jesus. Are we telling people about Jesus? Now listen, if I can just be honest with you, and I've, I've walked in your footsteps, and I have walked with thousands of y'all since I have been a college student, I know that there are some ways that we can bend ourselves around the command of God of going therefore and making disciples among all nations. I think there's some ways that we can make it an empty religion, and it's simply this. I think some of us in here, we can put conditions on it you know what, I'm going to go on a mission trip. Amen, hallelujah. 
I'm going to go to Haiti, or I'm going to go to camp, or I'm going to go to Beach Reach this summer, right? And I'm, you know, when I'm there, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to spend that week or that month, and man, I'm going to tell everybody that I can about Jesus. I'm going to tell them how he came and died for our sins so we can have eternal life with him, and I'm going to share it, I'm going to share it, I'm going to share it, right? But as soon as I get home, what do we do? I got my check mark for the year, right? I'm good. I'm good. We put conditions on it. We don't do it more than maybe that week or maybe even that weekend, and then we're done for the rest of the year. Some of us in here, we put excuses on it. Like, Brent, listen, I'm just not one of those people. Right? I'm just not one of those people that tell people about Jesus. Like, like, I'm not smart enough. I'm not holy enough. I don't know enough. I'm not outgoing enough. Like, I'm an Enneagram 5, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what that means, right? I mean, Enneagram 1, I, I don't know, all right? But, bro, I'm just going to leave it to the ministers and to the super holy. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray. But I'm not going to go out of my way to go and tell somebody about Jesus. That's just not me. I think we can put excuses on it. I think a lot of us in here, though, is, verse no, is point number three, is that we can put replacements on it. And this is what I mean by replacements, is that you can replace this command and do another command on top of it. Like, Brent, you know what? I know that I'm called to go and serve. I know I'm called to go and love people. Brent, I'm going to go paint someone's full entire house, right? And I'm going to go paint their house, and they're going to see me paint their house, and then they're going to see that I love Jesus, and then they're going to get to know Jesus. Listen, like, I would rather paint their whole house than go and talk to them about Jesus. Brent, you know what? Let's, let's make it a little bit more holier than that. I'm going to go serve on prayer team. I'm going to go serve in the children's ministry. I'm going to go do lights and sound for that church. I'm going to go play in the band for that church. I will do all these things, and that will be enough to me to be considered doing what the Lord has commanded me to do. We are making just another way of going around what the Word of God has told us to do. And I'm going to replace this command with another command that I know that God is calling us to do. We pick and choose our commands. And here's the conclusion of all three things, students. All three things are adding our own rule to God's command that will allow us to do religion the way that we want to do it. And all three are empty religions that won't get you any closer to God. Like, like are we spiritually bankrupt right now? Like, like ask yourself, like, like I'm hurting inside, Brent. Like, I am spiritually bankrupt inside. Like, I've been there. I was there from, from 22 to 24 years old. Like, I have been there before. Listen, let me tell you what can change your life is when you start following this command of God and when you start walking with God and you start telling other people about Jesus and what he can do for you. Let me tell you, when you take all these things and these conditions and these excuses and these replacements off of the table and you do what God tells you to do over and over, and you see, and, and you're saying, like, this is what I want to do today, God will start moving in your life like you've never imagined before. He will be fulfilling in your life things that you could never be fulfilled with ever again.
And the more you start talking about Jesus, the more of an addiction it becomes. Number two of empty religion that I see here and what Jesus is trying to see, uh, say here is that they performed religious actions for themselves apart from spiritual affection for God. Like as we see here, these people, they would do many religious actions. They would clean their hands. They'd wash their dishes, shower off after, ma- after the marketplace for one reason. It was simply for themselves. And I was thinking about this. I was like, How can you be so committed to something, doing something every single day, literally not getting anything out of it? How can you do washings? How can you do diets? How can you do prayers? How can you do all of this and get absolutely nothing out of it? Students, listen, whenever your word and your rules and your rituals are over the word of God in your life, listen, you will never grow in affection with God. If we constantly do life the way that we want to do life, our spirit will never connect with the spirit of God. Our thoughts will never be his thoughts. Our heart will never cry for the loving and father's embrace. And the reason some of us are at the same spiritual level that we were five years ago is because our words and our commandments are higher than, the, than God's words and God's commandments in our life. And that's what exactly Jesus is calling them out for. They were doing these things, all these good deeds, but their hearts were far from God. This is my call out, is that the word of God must be the very thing that brings us together. It must be the very focal point of our life. It can't be my thoughts or your thoughts or my opinions or your opinions or my convictions or your convictions, only the word of God clearly and plainly taught and understood leads to true worship. And what happens when the word is truly elevated above our thoughts and above our traditions is spiritual affection happens and there's a process to it. Because the word of God leads to spiritual brokenness and repentance over sin as our thoughts and traditions and opinions and convictions are put in their proper place. True elevation of the word leads to spiritual fear and an awe before God and His greatness. It then leads to spiritual gratitude and thanksgiving for God's grace. It then leads to spiritual hope and strength in God's promises. And then it leads to spiritual celebration in the salvation that he has blessed us with. That is true worship. That is what happens when we elevate God's word over our own thoughts and over our own traditions. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, this is God speaking. This is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. True religion trembles at the word of God and is followed by humility and repentance that leads to spiritual affection for God. Listen, how easy is it for us to come in setting a setting like this, sing songs and prayer prayers and listen to sermons while our minds and our hearts are so far away from God? We must obey his word and make his word greater than our words and seek to connect with him in that spiritual way. My last point is this. They thought that they could cleanse themselves. 
These spiritual elites thought that they could cleanse themselves as much as I thought I could clean my poopy hands, all right? Like, but no matter how much they tried, just like me, we still failed. They did everything they tried to do to be in the right standing of God, and they weren't. And the hard truth is this, is that all of us try to fit into this at some point in our life. How many of us right now, we are trying to cleanse ourselves in such a way that we are trying to be right before God, we go to church or we listen to worship music or we clean up our life from the outside. We try to have some behavioral modification, right? You try to act right because you want to be right before God. And let me ask you a question, and I want you to be honest with yourself, is do you feel right before God right now? Like in your heart of hearts, in your spirit right now, do you feel like you are right in God's eyes right now? Do you feel that you are you are constantly not right with God and you keep on doing and washing and you keep on trying to change your life and scrubbing and scrubbing and make your behavior better and you're nicer and, you, and your actions better, but you keep on feeling this empty void in your life. Maybe some of us in here, we don't even feel like we deserve God's love because we can't ever get to that extreme. And this is what Jesus is speaking at here. You will never be able to clean yourself up enough to be considered right before God. Like no matter what you do, no matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many times you sing worship songs, you can only be transformed from the inside out, not from the outside in. Only he can change your heart. Only he can take away your sins. Only he can take away the sins that he listed on this. Only he can transform you with his love and his grace. I love what Ezekiel 36 says. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put it within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give your heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is revolutionary. Stop focusing on the outside to make yourself right. No, God says, if you will only let me, I will. See, he says, I will over and over and over again. I will do the work deep down inside you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you that wants to obey my rules and my statutes and my word. How is this possible? How do we get this new heart? It's only through Jesus. It's only through the one who has lived a life of no sin with no uncleanliness or no defilement then, though he had no sin for which he died, he chose to die on a cross to pay it for us. And then like we just learned from this last week, he rose again and gave victory over death so that anyone, I mean anyone, anywhere, no matter what sin is in your heart, if you can confess those sins and turn them to Jesus, then he will take them and forgive them and throw them as far as the east is from the west. And anyone who trusts in Jesus to make them right, to change their heart from the inside out, God himself will forgive you and cleanse you. God himself will fill you with his spirit and enable you to be changed from the inside out. This is why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Has this happened to you? Have you let Jesus make you a new creation? If not, I would ask you to experience that miracle today. Your life now and forever will be changed, but it depends on this miracle happening in your heart.